Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. I'm Tyler Tischler, Associate Editor for Reader Views. And I'm Victor Volkman with Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Welcome, listeners, to episode number 91 in our series. Tonight's topic is Digital Publishing Beyond the Printed Page, and our special guest is Dan Oja. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We'd love to hear your questions and comments. Please send them to info at authorsaccess.com. Now, tonight we're on the line with Dan Oja, who was born in Ishpeming, Michigan, and attended Ishpeming High School and Northern Michigan University. He's been working with computers since the early days of PCs, back to the days of CPM and the Apple II. And if you know either of those, you're as old as I am. He is the co-author of close to 200 college computer textbooks and is the author of a non-fiction World War II book entitled Ordinary Heroes, Six Stars in the Window. Dan has also written numerous computer programs, including the Book On Digital Publishing System. Dan currently lives in St. Thomas, part of the U.S. Virgin Islands, with his wife and co-author, June Parsons, and we're speaking to him from... Ishpeming this evening. Good evening. Good evening. Hi, Dan. I am not familiar with all those computer programs Victor mentioned, so could you start out by just telling us a little bit about um, your interest in computers and how that led into your writing college computer textbooks? Ooh, that's a, a long story, but to do, the, to do the short version of it, we got into computers in the very early days, and I just found them fascinating particularly microcomputers or personal computers where you'd press a key and something would actually happen right away. Uh, we ran a computer store. We taught computer classes. We sold computers, repaired computers, programmed computers. And then uh, my wife was teaching computer science and reviewing textbooks, and the editor kept asking her if she would be interested in writing a textbook, and it just didn't happen, didn't happen. And then finally Windows 3 was coming out. And so the other authors didn't want to write for Windows because they were doing so well with their DOS-based textbooks. Um, she finally agreed to do a book for Windows 3, and then together we did one for the first version of Microsoft Excel, and we've been doing computer textbooks ever since. And then that led to um, a lot of programming-related projects, particularly related to academic or educational programming, so uh, interactive labs, computer-based training things, and finally the digital, digital publishing system that we use for the textbooks. Okay, so what, when, you, when you started out with the digital publishing system, what, what was your, uh, your general idea? Why did you think that was a good idea? And how did you think, um, I guess, why, why did you think that that would be an advantage over like just regular textbooks? See, that really came about because of our frustration as authors with the limitations of paper pages. The trouble with a paper page is it just sits there. It doesn't do anything. Um, so to take a simple example, uh, for example, if you're trying to help the student understand an, an important computer concept, often what you'll do, you, you'll use text if text will do. If text isn't sufficient, you'll often try to do a diagram showing the concept or showing the process. And in the diagram, you'll put all sorts of little call-outs, and you'll often number those one, two, three, four. And those diagrams make a lot of sense to the author. They usually make sense to the instructor. They make sense to people who already understand the topic. But to the people who don't already know it, often they're of only modest use because it takes so much effort for a student to try to 
turn one of those diagrams into a process or a concept. And at that point, we'd been working with interactive computer-based tutorials, and it was very clear that if we could just turn some of these diagrams into animations, we could make the whole thing much easier for students. We could make it easier for them to understand what's going on. Same thing happens with video. If you want to, uh, for example, if you're talking about adding memory to a computer on a very practical aspect, you can have text talking about putting the memory chips in. You can even have a photo or two, but nothing beats a short video clip showing how to put it in there. It's, it's the media can help you get across the content in ways that text alone or the paper book can't. And we felt very strongly that the media needs to be available right on the page, integrated with the page. So if there's a, if there's a concept, you read the text, you see the diagram, you click it, the animation runs, it's immediate, it's in context, it's in place, as opposed to having that information off on a website somewhere or referencing it in the uh, end matter of the book and hoping that some highly motivated student goes to look for it and actually reviews it. And that's, that's how it came about, again, basically as our frustration with limitations of paper and our desire to try to utilize computers to provide a, a richer, more effective learning environment. Okay, well that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking from my own perspective, I've been frustrated with books where I want to put like charts or genealogy charts in the books and not sure how to lay them out and there's great uh, you know, programs like that already online. So I can see how easy it would be to link to that and, and have that as your, uh, uh, an asset to your text. Um, I, I have read your book, Ordinary Heroes, of course, and uh, so I know exactly what you mean by a digital book. but. For our listeners, could you explain a little bit more specifically what the real difference is? When, when you talk about a digital book, um, I think a lot of us probably think about e-books or even maybe books that you can now read on the, like the Amazon Kindle Reader. So uh, most, most e-books are usually just like a PDF file or they look like one. So what is the real difference there between e-books and digital books? Yeah, where we're trying to go is not so much duplicating paper books, where a lot of the emphasis has been. You know, in the Kindle Reader, you're, they're trying to duplicate the pages of a paperback book. Or on a PDF file, you might be duplicating the pages of a more complex layout, a, a textbook. Instead, to, to get to the place where we are, if people think of, about the book of the future, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 50 years from now, what would you hope the book of the future would actually do for you? Or another way that I, I uh, present the idea to people is think of the newspapers in the Harry Potter movies. On those, they have, instead of still pictures, they have the little video clips running on the page, and you can see the things happening. What we're trying to do is, when we're looking at digital publishing, is looking at digital publishing is based on paper books, but going beyond that, utilizing all of the power of the computer, which means animations, videos, sounds, all the power of the Internet which means linking to additional reference materials, source materials, uh, in the case of textbooks, sending feedback on questions back to instructors, and bringing that together to provide a much richer experience than one could actually get in a paper book. So we're, uh, in a sense, thinking outside the box, not duplicating paper pages, but what can we really do with this digital canvas to make uh, a reading experience which is fundamentally richer fundamentally more useful to the reader and actually um, that provides a very interesting outlet for the author because the author can do things that just wouldn't be possible on paper. So it's, it's a richer environment is what we're after. 
I'm just thinking off the top of my head here. So, for instance, like I write history, historical books. So what I could do is show, um, you know, like a clip of, of somebody arriving. Like the other day we had a reenactment here in Marquette of the first founders coming. And so I could like film that and put that in my book as a, as a as a clip, like it, it, it's sort of what you're saying is it's like an enhanced illustration, I guess. That's it. An illustration. Again, if you think of the Harry, Harry Potter newspapers, the photo comes to life as videos or an animation, or in the case of a historical book, as I did with Ordinary Heroes, using web links to link to original source material. Because as as when you write historical historical titles, there's documents from which on which you're basing what you're writing, but you can't include those documents in the actual book. You'd end up with a gigantic book that you could never afford to get printed. You can reference those documents in footnotes or at the end of the book, but very few people will ever look, look them up at that point. It's just too much work. But if you have active web links on the pages and you reference some document or some event, for example, in market history, and if the reader is interested in that and they have a link just on the side of the page, they click that, they go to the web, and that additional information, the source material, is right there so they can see what you're basing that part of the story or the book on. And that opens up, uh, it, it makes the books uh, multi-level. You, know, you, you have different levels of the book. You have the core narrative, which keeps you on track, but there can be more, more pieces of information and media elements linked above and below that. Um, again, doing, providing a, a very different sort of experience. Because if, in the case of our textbooks or the historical books, if you manage to tweak the interest of the reader, you want to make it very easy for them to follow up on that particular subject right then and right there. They don't have to wait for anything. Cool. So, Dan, just so I, I've got it clear in my head. <laughs> okay. I, I, must be, I must be a little slow today. So we're not talking about a paper or CDs or DVDs, right? This is... What is the delivery mechanism? Actually, that's, that's a very good question, and it's a much trickier question to answer than you might think because our, our belief is, and our technology attempts to provide the options, to deliver it in almost any way, meaning we can put the products on a CD or a DVD, which are often bound within a paper book. We call that book on CD, very, very cunning naming conventions. But we can also deliver the same content as a download, so it's complete digital delivery, no physical product at all. And the nice thing about no physical product, of course, is you eliminate all the things, the production cost, the shipping cost, the warehousing cost, uh, just download it over your fast Internet connection. We can also deliver it in the case of textbooks, for example. They can be delivered or put on flash drives so the student can carry their entire interactive learning environment on one of the little uh, USB thumb drives or flash drives. They don't have to be a CD or they don't have to be stuck on a particular computer. Uh, we can deliver the same content in a browser. There's a few limitations when running within a browser, but the beauty of running of uh, outputting to browser format is in most any computer anywhere in the world can run it without having to download or install anything. And the same content can also be printed. What we try to do is make it so that the content is created and formatted one time, and then you output it to print, you output it to book on CD, book on download, book on browser, book on flash, you output it however you like. And so we have a very versatile range of delivery methods. It's whatever method works best for the particular product. Brings me back to a good question, but a, a <laughs> complex answer. That is 
quite revolutionary. It's almost like an XML transformation where you can, you know, present it any way that you want. Is that a good analogy? That's it, because the work is in the preparation of the content and also in the formatting. Once you've done that, you don't want to have to do that again. Okay. I'll put it for this. I'll put it for that. Um, otherwise, your your you know your costs just get way too high, and it's really not not viable. Right. I see you've got your own tool that you developed. Is it a proprietary file format, or or you know, if I wanted to say write something to do a concordance, could I interface with your on book format? Again, another very good question. You've done this before. <laughs> um, at the moment, it's a proprietary tool which does the layering. Our input is a PDF file. The reason we use PDF is the input because every desktop publisher or word processor program can generate a PDF or printed PDF. Right. So what we do when we're going to create a product is we start with the assumption that there's a PDF file which contains the content and all the formatting. We feed that in one end of our tools. On the other end, it comes out in a... Um, you can think of it as a layerable format, or you can think of it as a PDF file if the PDF files had layers. So you can put hotspots above the PDF file, and so videos and animations or even web pages could appear within the PDF file right on the page. Okay? So what we do is we, we take that page content, output it to a proprietary format, which allows us to do the layers. And then the layers are both the hotspots for interaction plus the media elements, which can appear over the pages. Wow, that, that is cool. <laughs> it, it's what we felt we really needed to have, because again, playing the videos of the animations separately is okay, but playing them right in place adds the, adds the impact that we really got to have. You need that extra material as close as possible to the point where the learner or the reader is interested in it. You know? right. And it's coolest... It's most cool, I guess I should say, when the photos, you click the photo and the photo just comes to life. People start walking or talking. You click that animation and it starts moving right there on the page. That's, that's when you really get people. That's, that's the sort of thing the current generation says, hey, yeah, that's what I want. Right, right, the YouTube generation. Uh, speaking of which, <laughs> is it, are we talking flash files or, or what exactly is, is the animation delivery? For the, again, very, very good question. We've tried to be very open, so we use uh, Flash, Flash Media. Um, we also use, of course, multiple video formats, pretty much any, any of the common video formats. Flash, Flash animations, we also use our own proprietary animations, which are really optimized for what we call screen tour animations, which are showing what happens on a computer screen when you're trying to train or teach someone about a particular piece of software. Our animation format is... is uh, optimized for that both in terms of development, in terms of copy editing, uh, those captions, the interaction. We can make those interactive so they have to click or press keys at certain points. And then we can also make those scored so we can do testing, simulated testing within the environment. So the, I guess the short answer is, is that uh, the media can be any standard video format, can be flash animations, or can be our proprietary screen tour animations. Most products use a mix of those because you want to use whatever media is most appropriate for the particular uh, element that you're showing at the moment. Right, yeah. I was just recalling, uh, I think two different universities went all digital for their books for students this year. So there's definitely a, a trend that way. A, a number of universities are trying to do that. 
most of the textbooks that they're using yet are PDF-based, so they, the advantage to the students is the textbooks don't weigh as much when they're PDF files. Unfortunately, they don't offer a lot of other significant advantages, and we think, we think they should start to offer more advantages. But at least they get lighter, and the student isn't carrying around 40 pounds of textbooks. Right, and and maybe they uh, maybe they cut a few dollars off the uh, the hundred dollar textbook. <laughs> There's the potential for that. We haven't seen the sort of pricing reduction that maybe we would all be hoping for, but the potential is is there definitely because. Um, obviously, there's there's a number of costs that go away when you go to all digital delivery. You know, no printing, warehousing, shipping, yeah. no returns. In the case of textbooks, no no used books, which is a big factor in the in the textbook business. So so I think that as the industry gradually adapts to this and and kind of comes to grips with the digital age, and it's it's not going to be easy for the publishing industry or the textbook industry any more than it was easy for the music industry. But as they come to grips with this, I think that we will see some relaxation on the pricing, which will be very helpful for students. Great. Uh, I've been hogging the conversation, so go ahead, Tyler. <laughs> oh, well, I was just going to say, I even um, just even the advance to PDFs, um, I thought was a huge advance because I, I wrote my dissertation back in the 90s before there was even much in the way of e-books. And I cannot tell you how frustrating it was every time I had to go look up a quote and get a paper book and dig through it and how much easier it is just to open up a PDF, hit the search key, and type in the one word you want and find your quote. And and the digital book just, you know, I I can't even imagine for the students now how the the advantages of digital books would be by comparison. Yeah, multiple advantages, including availability or accessibility to people in more remote areas as long as they have internet access. Mm -hmm. Because people in large cities who live next to a big university library, they have a lot of things available to them very easily. You live in a small rural town, um, the internet and access to digital content is really your, you know, your, your key method of learning things. And so, uh, you know, but that kind of ties in with the, with the whole internet, the web, and this access. And if you make things digital, they can be made available to anyone Instantly, uh, for example, like with Ordinary Heroes, uh, a person can go to the website, download it, and have it on their computer in Peru tonight. They don't have to wait for a UPS guy to come up to the door. And that's kind of interesting. Well, that brings me to my next question, Dan, because I, uh, I read your book, Ordinary Heroes, and I know that um, people can just go to your website and purchase it, if you purchase the digital version. And I know you also have a print version with all the, all the photographs and everything in it, minus the, the videos and the links to the website. But um, in the back of the book, you have a CD, and uh, you can put that on your computer and get, I forget how many, maybe the first six chapters for free. And then if you pay just a small fee, you can actually access it so you can read the whole digital book. And, and so my question for you is, um, I, you don't have to give us the actual numbers, but do you, do you see a significant number of the books actually being sold directly as digital books, or is the paper version still preferred, or of the paper ones sold, do you find many where they, are, they do activate that digital book option? Or, I guess is, is, yeah, is the trend towards digital books actually happening? We see it happening. I see it happening a little more slowly than I'm ready for, <laughs> but I also think it depends a bit on the product. For example, with Ordinary Heroes, which is a which is a historical book about World War II, 
many of the readers seem to prefer more prefer the paper book or purchase the paper book, even though it's quite a bit more expensive than the digital version, than I had expected. But partly that may be due because of the age groups that we're dealing with of the people who tend to purchase a World War II book about, you know, about the 1930s and the 1940s. When we get to the computer textbooks, which are primarily used by college students and they're fairly computer savvy, again, our information tends to be somewhat anecdotal, but a larger percentage of them prefer or request the digital version as opposed to the paper version. So I think you have a somewhat of an age-related age-related change there where younger people who are more comfortable with computers tend to be leaning more towards the digital version. Um, maybe previous generations tend to lean more towards the paper version. Okay, does that, does that make sense? So I think there's a, there's yeah, a generational change. Um, maybe it has something to do, it, maybe it's something relevant to do with people of a certain age maybe are more inclined to buy their music on a CD because they just like that thing, mm -hmm. that physical thing. Um, people under a certain age are probably never going to buy another physical CD in their life. They, right. just digital, is, okay. digital is the way they live. Everything yeah. comes as myths. So I'm, I'm backwards I think, then because I'm I'm 38 and still wishing they'd bring back records. <laughs> <laughs> and I still have a record player. <laughs> I, I also think it depends significantly on the nature of the publication, which defines somewhat the audience that's purchasing it. Okay, textbooks, mm -hmm. particularly computer textbooks, are not something that people buy because they're they're enamored of that particular volume. It's something you're using because you need to use it, you need to learn it, and you want the most efficient approach that works for you. As opposed to if you go to um, particularly certain literature where you really like the book and it's something that you really want to cherish and you want to have, then a nicely bound copy of the book is more what people might like. Right? It depends on the, the, um, whether, whether the thing they're reading is more transitory or has a longer-term kind of a keepsake feeling for it, okay? And I think so that, that depends. Textbooks, again, are, um, you know, you buy them for a particular purpose, you use them during a very particular period of time, and generally you don't really want to see them after the course is over. So there's right. not the emotional attachment to printed textbooks that there might be with other types of books. Well, speaking of emotional attachment, I, I know from your book, Ordinary Heroes, um, and, and for those that haven't read it, it's... Uh, it's really a book about your your uncles who all served six uncles who served in World War II, and yes. uh, I I remember that in terms of the digital book, what was really interesting wasn't just so much um, the links to the websites. I mean, there was stuff on there about Henry Ford and the Nazis and and you know all kinds of historical information. There were lots of like the old doc, war, World War II documentaries they would have shown in the movie theaters, clips of those. But then you were also able to interview people who had been in the war and family members. And so we got the video clips of those, those interviews. And I, I, I know I remarked to you at the time when I read it that your mother kind of just stole the show because she would just be you know, remembering you know, things that happened 60 years before and, and getting all choked up about her brothers going to war. And, and so the, you know, there, there's a, there was a way, I guess I'm saying, that emotion was being conveyed through the digital book in a way that it just simply could not have been done on the page. And I, I thought you did that very effectively. I don't know if that was, that was necessarily your intention when you set out, but 
I guess, would you agree with me about that? I think I definitely agree with that because after years of working with, with both text and animations and videos, you start to see that different media types or media elements are more appropriate for certain things. Text is very hard to be for presentation of a reasonably complex narrative. You can, you can build images in the reader's minds with text that you really couldn't do with video unless you had a gigantic special effects budget. On the other hand, for emotional contact and helping people believe that these were real things, or in the case of Ordinary Heroes, these were real people and real lives, video is very, very tough to beat for that emotional connection. And so it's, it's not a case maybe of text being better than video or video being better than text, but each is, the strength of each is actually quite different. And they each have something that they can bring to the experience. And, and video is emotionally a very powerful tool. Right. Uh, with great power comes great expense, I'm afraid. I mean, any of us who have tried to even make a two-minute professional video realize, suddenly realize you know, how much the production values really count. <laughs> And actually, that's, that's also one reason that, you know, <laughs> another good point. For example, when we're working with our textbooks and people say, well, why don't you do the whole textbook as a video or an interactive computer-based training product? The problem is, is first, the cost would be prohibitive. You can't do like 30 hours of professional video to deliver as a, you know, as a, as a, a use in a one-semester class. The second thing, though, is that my feeling is, our feeling is, is that, you should use text when text works, use photos or illustrations when they work, use video or animations or other media when it brings something, when it brings something extra to the party, when it, when it serves a real purpose. What you find then is that you don't, have, you don't have to have as many chunks of video or you can have more small chunks. Like we, we very often lean towards, towards things that are in the two-minute range, a two-minute chunk of video, a two-minute animation. A short thing, which is very focused to the point, it links directly to a particular chapter, a particular page, as opposed to trying to provide a 45-minute experience. And what that does is that allows you not only to, to hit the sweet spots, to provide that media where it's really going to make the difference, but it also keeps your overall budget within some reasonable range. Because, you know, yeah, we also couldn't provide a, you know, a four-hour movie, you know, uh, film. We have to we have to be very careful about what we're providing in the terms of media. Right. Yeah. The one thing I I haven't heard you mention is like an an audio book version for people who may be visually impaired or maybe they're they're just driving on a trip and they want to listen to it, you know, rather than read it. Do you have that sort of thing in there? We, uh, no, we don't have we don't have an audio version of Ordinary Heroes at this point. Um, obviously, technically, that's fairly straightforward to deliver. There's many methods. The, uh, maybe the key thing is getting the narrator with a very nice voice to read it. Um, but no, we don't, we don't have an audio book at this point, but I have had several people ask for an audio book, and those were either people visually impaired or, as I said, people who were doing a lot of driving and like to use that time to, to listen to books. So we don't have one yet, but it's uh, something we've been asked about. Yeah, I imagine it's just another thing that you hook into the, I mean, PDF files, probably not much to it. But you, you've done a number of these titles, and what are the, the costs in terms of man hours in, in production in, say, a, a typical textbook? Okay, you have to split it up into, 
at least three areas. The first, of course, is somebody's got to write the textbook and do all the usual digital publishing. So that's, that's actually the largest part of any of the projects. Oh, yeah. There's no, no quick way to write a book, I'm afraid. Uh, anybody who's done it will tell you. So let's assume that the book is written and laid out already, okay? just as if it was going to go to print. Okay? And yeah. then we can talk about what's additional required to do the digital versions. Okay? Okay, so the book is, book is written, formatted, is done in a desktop publisher, and basically you make a PDF file. And at that point, you could send it to the printers, the printers can print it, or we can move it into our process. For a fairly large book, oh, for example, New Perspective on Computer Concepts Comprehensive, which is 700 and some pages, uh, we would outpad our, our team, who works, works fairly quickly, but usually one person at a time, would convert that to our format mm, in about two days. You'd have the whole book converted, and then to link all the content, somebody's got to do the hotspots. You've got to say that this video has to appear at this page. When they uh, click this, uh, this uh, icon in the sidebar, they go to such and such web page. Right. That usually takes them another couple of days. So you're probably talking in the five-day range to get the product ready to go to alpha testing. Because then not only do you have to create those links, somebody has to click all those links and make sure each link goes to the right thing. And if you do enough links, some of them won't be right. So it's, it's a process of you do them, you test them, you fix them. The biggest, that's actually fairly quick and fairly easy. The big part, though, was the creation of the media. So, for example, if you're going to have videos about um, putting memory in the computer or you're going to have an animation showing what happens when you're using uh, music editing software, somebody has to create those. So in the, in the context of the computer textbooks, while the team is writing the textbook, we have other people who are creating the animation and media and video elements. So that the idea is, is at the end, when the PDF of the textbook is ready, all the media elements are ready, and the production people can link it together, which is, again is that four or five days, six days, depending on the complexity of it. We have to be able to do it very, very quickly, because in the case of the textbooks, the CD with the digital version of the book is often bound in the front cover of the book, and so by the time the book comes, is finishing up the printing process and is being bound, the CD has to have been produced, tested and produced, and be available to go in at that stage of the binding process. So we have only about a five-week window or so in which the, the digital version has to be created, uh, alpha tested, beta tested, and produced so those CDs are ready when the book is bound. And so the, the process needs to be relatively quick. Most of the time is in testing. Um, again, you have, a, you know, have a product with several thousand media elements and many thousands of links. Uh, testing all those links and making sure they're good uh, takes a certain amount of time. So I, I don't know if that answered your question for sure, but it talked about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tyler? Uh, well, I'm just I'm wondering, um, Dan, where I, I, what I'm thinking here is that one of the ways to save costs then is... Um, once the book is in, you know, say we're not talking about the print copy, but once the book is in digital form and you have all those links online, um, like bringing out future editions or reprinting, you don't even really have to do that. You can just go in there and, and make some updates, and uh, the book's always available. You can just I'm change you the, yeah, you can just change the pages that need to be changed. And in fact, with some of the textbooks, that's what happens. Where a new edition of the textbook, if the changes are not 
are not uh, significant. If the, if the book doesn't have to be substantially rewritten, um, you, you know, you approach it more like reprints, but you're just doing the digital changes. So you change page 33, page 47, page 52. You do this change, this change, and post it, and there you go. So yes, editions and revisions can be very, very quick um, and very easy. One of the advantages of the digital system. And then if you're only delivering digital. As soon as it's tested, it's available for delivery to customers. There's no there's no delay time while uh, that you would have with a paper book, where the paper book has to be printed, has to be bound, has to be shipped before it can finally get to end users. And that that delay becomes very very significant with time sensitive things like computer textbooks, where every week that they're not in the hands of of people is another week out of their relatively short shelf life. You know, speed is of the essence with things like computer textbooks. I'm afraid. So, now, so what, digital digital can save money and time, depending if you're tied up or bound to a paper book. You know, if you're if you're if you're being part of a, a package that includes a paper book, you still have to go with the schedule of the paper book. Can Can you tell us um, before we run out of time here? Um, since you did all of these computer textbooks in this digital format, what made you decide to make the jump from computer textbooks to writing a like a nonfiction history book and I guess why did you why did you choose that book specifically to be the first one that you did, and do you have plans for more books besides computer textbooks in that format? First, I think everybody who's doing anything always thinks it would be interesting to do something else. <laughs> and if you've written enough college computer textbooks, other things start to look awfully interesting. The other part is is that we believe very strongly that the technology that we've used so successfully for college computer textbooks, should also be applicable to many other types of uh, titles and many other different content areas. Textbooks, but also something like Ordinary Heroes, which is a nonfiction historical book. Of course, Ordinary Heroes doesn't use any of the learner feedback or the assessment or the tracking options. It doesn't do the end of chapter material that a textbook would do. But even just using the web links to, it, to original documents and web resources and the video clips, it's, my feeling was is that we could provide a much richer version of the book than we could just do in paper alone, and I think that's what we did with it, is the digital version. My, my feeling is, is that the, the paper book is, of course, I guess authors always think their book is good, but I think the paper book is pretty good, but I think the digital version is really the richer experience. That's the full experience is the digital one. Um, and so it was kind of a, a demonstration and a proof to, to myself, for example, is that this technology could be effectively applied to things besides textbooks. Yeah, and just having, having read the digital book, I, I, I know it probably took me twice as long as the paper one to get through it, but it, it definitely was a richer experience, and I definitely enjoyed it even more from the you know watching all the video clips and having them right there at my fingertips as I was as I was wait, making my way through the book. And I, I really think people that, uh, the older generation, as you said, that's probably just reading the paper one, is really, is really missing out in that respect. Oh, thank you. I, I, I agree. Okay, Dan. Um, do you have any, uh, any closing words, anything that we haven't gotten to before we, we wrap up this evening? Well, I think I'd, I'd encourage people to think a little bit about what books can be, what books should be in the future. Because I think, I think reading 50 years from now is going to be different than it is now. And then I think we should all think a little bit about what parts of that experience we can have today. And I think we're, we live in a very interesting time, and I, I regard that as a good thing. 
and digital publishing is one of the very interesting parts of the time in which we live. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. We're, we're in for some big changes. Well, thanks again, and thank you on behalf of Irene, who couldn't be here this evening. Okay, this has been another podcast edition of Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. We'll be back next time when our topic will be Unlimited Publishing Possibilities, and our special guest will be Cheryl Pickett. You can learn more about all of our guests on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send us your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press. For Reader Views, this is Tyler Tischler in Marquette, Michigan. For Loving Healing Press, this is Victor Volkman in Ann Arbor, Michigan, wishing you all a good evening.